0: I've read that, you know the chapter 9 is um, post-flood. No flood happened. And um, after the flood, God establishes a covenant. After the flood, God establishes a covenant with Noah. And in effect, this covenant has an effect to all the world, all the created world, all the created order. The covenant he establishes is summed up in this idea that there will never again be a flood like there was in mass destruction. Now there's other parts to it, but, but um, what we find in, in chapter 9 is the discussion of the rainbow. Um, and we all know what the rainbow signifies in the scriptures. We also know what it signifies today, which is something radically different from... Um, in fact, diametrically opposed to the biblical understanding of the rainbow. But as I've been considering the passage in uh, Genesis 9, it kind of just really prompted my thinking about a lot of things. And I want to take a few moments this morning and um, connect the story of Genesis 9, or at least use it as a uh, starting point of a theological Survey, this morning, if I may do so. Let's read the text first, and um, and then we will uh, continue our discussion. Starting in verse eight of of uh, Genesis chapter nine. Starting in verse eight, it is recorded this. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, "Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you." that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. when the bow is in the clouds I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth God said to Noah this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth now you know the story the people were evil they were evil continually the Bible says but God but Noah found favor with the in the sight of the Lord and so he called Noah to build an ark. And it took him 120 years to build it. And that whole time, Noah called the people to do what? Repent. To repent and follow God, right? Repent and believe. <clears throat> Obviously, the people didn't. Because at the end of the day, the animals came in two by two. And then the only people who came in was Noah and his family. Everyone else was left outside. They all thought Noah was a nut job. Um, The rain came, the flood came, the waters rose, and everything that was outside the ark was destroyed, was wiped out. The waters receded, as God promised, and eventually the ground dried up. Noah came out of the ark with the animals. And afterwards, God established this covenant with Noah. The covenant simply said, as we just looked at, promise to never destroy the world by flood again. Now, we know that that, that theme is demonstrated in the New Testament as well, uh, as he talks about the next destruction will not be in flood, right? The next destruction will be a fire. But he says, I, I place the rainbow in the sky to remind you. And he says even to remind me. Now, we're not going to get into the intricacies of that today. <clears throat> Rainbows are beautiful, aren't they? Don't you love looking at them? Trying to take photos of them? Hope you're not one to chase the end of the rainbow to try to find the gold. But that's a whole other issue we won't talk about today. But the rainbow is not just a beautiful phenomenon of nature. It's not just beautiful because of the effect of of the rain acting as a prism to split the colors of light out to their individual categories. That's all really neat and cool. But to this day, because he says for all time, this will be a reminder. Know what he says? So this this rainbow that that he put in the sky is there to serve as a reminder to Noah and his descendants and to all the beasts uh, of the earth, all the way up to us today, that God has made a promise. And that he keeps his promises. So when we see a rainbow in the sky, or a picture of a rainbow, or a drawing of a rainbow, what should happen in our mind is what? To remember the covenant, yes, but more importantly, even than remembering the covenant is to remember, to remember the, the giver of the covenant, right? The promise maker and the promise keeper, correct? That's the whole point of it. To reflect upon the promise maker, the promise keeper because he never fails to keep his promises. He's always faithful. He's always reliable. He always follows through. Well, us just set my mind to thinking as I considered Genesis chapter nine and this whole discussion uh, that we find there of this rainbow and the promise and the covenant and that now 4,000 years later or so, there's not been a flood that's wiped out the whole world which is a clear evidence that he has kept his promises, right? Up to this point, up to November 11th, 1031 a.m., 2018, he's kept his promises. I suspect this afternoon he will as well. Because a promise-making, promise-keeping God. Now, I'm not being flippant about that. I'm not being trivial about that. I'm, I'm trying to really emphasize that. That's who our God is. He's been successful at fulfilling his promise for that long. That would be really encouraging to us. You look at Genesis chapter 9, and you look in the sky after a rain, and you see the rainbow, it should draw us to do what? Worship. To worship and rejoice. Shouldn't it? But that's not really the point I want to try to make, although that's really true. It, and it, 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 it has a corollary in what we're going to talk about this morning. There have been a number of covenants that God has given to man. Certainly we see there's a number of them. There's the Abrahamic, there's the Adamic, there's the, um, there's the Mosaic Covenant, there's the Noahic Covenant. There's a numerous amount of covenants, as well as a covenant that we live in today, live under today, other than the Noahic Covenant that we're still experiencing today. But God has established a covenant with you and I too, hasn't he? And that covenant was through what? Through Christ, and more specifically through His, we 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 talk about it every every communion, through His blood, right? This is my covenant. Uh, uh, this is the, a new covenant in my blood. That's what He said. The Last Supper, didn't He? <clears throat> Which means that there is this covenant that's being given to people. It's in. By through his blood because of his blood because of shed blood something new has come now you've heard me talking about covenants before that covenants are a promise but they are a promise that actually change the identity of the ones who have received it we can understand that even in this category with the Noahic blood is there a change of identity before the before the rainbow and after the rainbow, of course. Before the covenant that we have here in this, this storyline, were the people absolutely condemned or were they not? They were absolutely condemned. They had no hope. The rains came, they were doomed. The only ones who saw the bow in the sky was who? The ones who came out the other side, Right? So who had hope? Who had life? Only Noah's family The rest did not. So there's certainly a change of identity there. And the intimacy of Noah and his family and then eventually his descendants uh, with God and his descendants uh, with regard to God's chosen people that flow out of that event eventually. But in the new covenant, becomes much more striking. The identity aspect of the covenant becomes probably the pinnacle of, of the point of, of the storyline. What's interesting is with these covenants, you find almost inevitably that there is, if not inevitably, you find that there is a, either a sign, a token, a proof, or plural many signs, evidences, proofs, tokens that demonstrate the, to the recipients that they are recipients of this covenant. It's not merely a statement, but there are signs and evidences, and that's where I wanted to go today: is to talk about that signs, evidence, tokens. In some cases we talk about, the scriptures talk about seals. There's evidences of the covenant. Here the evidence is what? What? The rainbow. The evidence is the rainbow. It was a very clear evidence of the covenant. You can talk about the evidence of, of the Mosaic Covenant in a variety of ways. There's many evidences, was, wasn't there? What were some of the evidences that the covenant was real for, for um, <clears throat> with regard to the Mosaic covenant to Israel? Any ideas? What are some of the evidences that it was a real covenant? The tokens, the signs, the seals, whatever, whatever the terms may be. What are some of them? The Ark. Uh, later are. on, are, yeah, the Ark, certainly, C- what else? Circumcision. Circumcision, what else? What about some of the earliest ones? Sacrifices, sacrifices, but the sacrifices were going on even before. Some sacrifices were going on before. Yeah, there was a lot covenant, of the that. Vision that uh, what say it again? What? A lot of the sacrifices that heralded to the vision that Abraham had. Good. Yep. That. Yep. Okay. Good. What else? Red Sea. Okay. Red Sea. That's pretty evident, isn't it? What else? How about the pillar of fire pillar of smoke. by night and the pillar of smoke by? day. Pretty strong evidence, isn't it? That plagues. The plagues, of course the plagues and the Red Sea are pre-Mosaic Covenant, but you get the idea. It certainly is, it is looking forward to what is about to come, isn't it? You have, what? Passover, again pre, but looking forward good. The manna what else? Water from the rock, Water from the rock. what else? The okay. oh, Clothes didn't wear out. All these things are evidence we go on and on. It's not just singular. Like the the, the Noahic covenant, there's a singular evidence or sign, right? But then the mosaic one has a boatload of them, doesn't it? Like it's screaming out everywhere. This covenant is real. This covenant is not empty words. It's real. It's there. It exists. It's powerful. Because the one who's giving it is is powerful. Ultimately powerful, right? Omnipotent, we use the word theologically. All powerful. And that kind of theme, I just use that as an example, that kind of theme percolates up in just about every single covenant you see. It's stunning to see. When we come to the New Testament, we have this new covenant that comes into play. It's a new covenant for those who believe in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross, paying the penalty for sin and absorbing the wrath of God, and rising again, defeating sin, Satan, and and death. it set my mind to wondering, as I read Genesis chapter 9, what are the... What are the signs of this new covenant? What are the seals? What are the evidences? What are the tokens? I don't mean tokens as in cheap knockoffs. I mean something that's a token as in it's as valuable, it's, it's, its value is found in the thing it's looking toward, looking at. Well, it made my mind start to think, what are they? What are some of them? And by the way, why study this? The rainbow was important, wasn't it? Change the subject, okay? We're all teleporting now back to or Noah's day. You just went through a horrific thing. We sterilize it. Everybody Noah knew are gone. His immediate family is still alive. All his extended family is gone. All his friends are gone. Neighbors are gone. Everyone's gone. Would that be terrifying? Would that be horrifying to you? I'm watching the fires over in California this week and listening to interviews. And this is just the people who have lost everything, but not everyone. And they're horrified. Do you think that in the middle of the night, if there's an unexpected flash of light in their bedroom, you don't think they may wake up in terror? Or if there's a slight smell of smoke, you think they maybe wake up in terror? You bet they do. But God promised Noah and his family Next time it rains, look up in the sky and be comforted. Be encouraged. Be confident. This will not happen again. You think that would be encouraging? You think that 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 would help you sleep well at night? You think that would help you trust and rely? Absolutely. Important stuff. But yet today, if we're not careful, we don't think about the signs, the tokens, the the evidences, the seals that are associated with our covenant. And I just want to encourage us this morning about them. Now, they're both encouraging and challenging. Unlike the Noahic covenant, which was to every person and every beast as the scriptures describe it, no one will experience a worldwide flood again. So it says, unlike that, the new covenant only applies to who? Those who are, who, are, who are believers, right? Those who are saved, those who the Spirit has made alive, Ephesians chapter 2. It only applies to them. So at the same time, when we look at these passages, we should find amazing encouragement in these passages. At the same time, it's challenging as we look at ourselves to examine are these signs, are these seals, are these, are these evidences, are these tokens really in play in my life? Are they there? Am I a recipient of that? They're really important. See, it's too easy and too, it's too simple to be flippant about something that we must not be flippant about. Right? We must not, I I don't think the scriptures ever tell us we should be casual or flippant about whether we're in the covenant or not, whether we're recipients of the covenant or not. There's great encouragement for those who are in the covenant, and these are hopes. Can I just ask you all a question real quickly? Have you ever been in a a place in your life where you scratch your head and you just wondered? I don't mean about anything, but I mean about your relationship with God. You ever been in a place where you scratch your head, or, or, or you just scarily wondered, I've been there. I've been there many times where I've sat there and I'm like, wait a second, Steve. And sometimes it's just generic. Like there's no, there's no rhyme or reason why I'm thinking this way. It just all of a sudden comes flooding in like a, like a tsunami in my life saying, are you really safe, Steve? Do you really belong to God? Have you been rescued from the wrath to come? That pops up in my mind quite regularly. And when it pops up, sometimes it's there, boop, gone. Other times it's there and it will not seem to leave. It's like a haunting that won't go away. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. I have. Numerous times. And there's other times, I I know it's connected to the way I've been living I've been living sinfully, embracing sin, and I start looking at myself saying, what in the world, Steve? Christians aren't like that. <clears throat> Christians don't live that way. Christians don't think that way. Christians don't speak that way. Maybe I'm not saved. You ever been there? I have numerous times. Those are scary times. In fact, I would submit that if anybody's never been there, it's probably because they live there all the time and they just don't recognize it. And it's probably because they may very well not be saved. (laughs) Because we are fallen creatures, aren't we? Tom and I have talked about, you know, assurance of salvation is not the essence of salvation at all. And sometimes it's really good to struggle. Sometimes it's really healthy to struggle with these issues. But at the same time, God doesn't leave us alone on this. He doesn't leave us guessing. He doesn't leave us, he doesn't leave us without data. Back in Noah's day, you wondered, one day you woke up, it's raining real hard. And you wondered, are we gonna be destroyed? Am I gonna live out the day because of the rain, because of the flood? Is this another one like the last one? Next thing you know, the rainbow popped out. doesn't leave you wondering. He doesn't. So the question that I want to address and perhaps come up with some answers to is, does the Bible tell us anything at all about it? Signs of covenant. I'm talking about signs and wonders. Signs of the covenant. Seals. Evidences. Tokens the covenant is real and not just real but it's real in me and i would argue these things are absolutely essential so let's look at some passages if we could and these are not necessarily in any specific order but um if you go over to second corinthians And after I give you the couple that I want to look at, I'm going to open up and see if anybody else has anything else I want to add. So have your thinking caps on, as they used to say to me when I was a kid. <clears throat> and uh, be thinking about it. Is there anything else that, that, uh, that we ought to be aware of? Um, Now i got to remember where the passage was in 2 Corinthians. Woo. Man, my mind just blanked out on me. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, exactly. It's 2 Corinthians. Um, I'll tell you when I find the passage. <laughs> Chapter 1. Starting in verse 18, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 18. As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has uh, has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. We're talking about signs, seals, evidences, tokens, of this covenant that has been applied. Notice there's several things in here. There's several statements that are being made in the passage. Notice verse 21. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. He has established us with you in Christ. So we're established in Christ and we've been anointed. Okay, that's first statement. It, it builds into the next two. Notice verse twenty-two, and who has also put his what? His seal on us. A very important statement. He's put his seal on us. Talk about signs, seals, evidences, tokens of this covenant. What well, says he's put his seal on us? God has put his seal on his children. What does that mean? Well, back in that day. A king would, as you probably all know, would put a seal on a document. Not just on a document. Oftentimes it would be put on a property. Or it would be put on a variety of things. There was a wax seal with the king's, uh, usually his ring, signet ring, which would leave the mark of the king. And it would say, whatever that seal was on, what would it say? What did it mean? It, that thing belonged to the one who left the mark, correct? Well, he says here, he has done what? He's placed his seal on you. If you're his child, he's placed his seal on you. Which means what? It means you belong to him. But what's interesting about the statement, it, not just, it doesn't just mean you belong to him, But the seal was something that was, what? Visible, it was something that was evident, correct? It was something that was visible, it was something that was evident. It showed itself. Nobody had to what? Nobody had to guess, right? Nobody had to wonder, is this, does this object, whatever the object is, does this object belong to the king, or does it not? The seal demonstrated it belonged to the king. It was the evidence. It was the declaration. Now, I would present to you what Paul is trying to drive toward here is not some just, it is, but it's not just some sort of supernatural heaven thing. It is that. It is supernatural. It is a heaven thing. But the argument here is not merely that it's something unseen because it wouldn't make any sense. The seal is a heaven thing. It's a supernatural thing. It's a spiritual thing, but it shows itself. It evidences itself. Now, I need to pause here for just a second because this point that I'm trying to make that the scriptures are trying to make and the other ones that have come along after that is not primarily, be very careful with this. This is not primarily command-based. This is not what so often people do. That means you all need to start living like Christians. That is not what he's saying. Why do we do that so much? We take things that are not commandment things and we make them commandments. That's now what it means. It means when God places a seal on something, God shows that it belongs to Him, or that He or She belongs to Him. God evidences. God causes that evidence to show. And he's really good at that. Just like he was really good with the rainbow and the pillar of fire and smoke. Right? He's very good at it. All through history, he was really good at it. Well, here we have this picture that he says, He says, What? He has also put, and I want you to notice it's past tense, and the idea is that the seal remains. And, and by the way, the other idea in that is that in order for the seal to be broken, it has to be someone at least as powerful as the seal maker. And of course, no one's more powerful than God, so it can't be broken. That's, a whole, that's an aside, but an important one. But he says here that he's given—he's put a seal on us, but then he goes on, and he says what? And has given us his spirit at... Um, in our hearts, as what a guarantee now that's an interesting terminology because the word guarantee has has several connotations to it, and I think both both are primary and valuable. On the one hand, a guarantee means what That what it promises it will fulfill right? But it also means that it will a guarantee also means that it will, it will do what it's supposed to do. Correct? It means both. Doesn't it? Now, I may be a good promiser of a guarantee or a bad one, right? But we know that God is what? A promise making God and a promise keeping God, right? And he says, I'm giving this to you as a, I'm giving the spirit to you as a guarantee. The guarantee wasn't what does he mean by that? Why, how would I get twofold? This is a sign. The evidence. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit to you as a guarantee. What? Well, the scriptures tell us elsewhere that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with our spirit with regard to what? That we are children of God. That's guaranteed. He's, in other words, the Spirit will bear witness to our spirit that we are His. That the guarantee is real. But the argument of the scriptures also is that when, when we have been given the Holy Spirit of the, as a guarantee, the scriptures tell us the Holy Spirit's, let me ask you, active or passive in our lives? Active. Active, active doing what? Help me out. What is the active doing? Conforming us to the image of Christ. Good. Let's flesh that out a little more. What else is he doing? Reminding us of the truth as revealed in the Scriptures. Good. What else? Convicting us of sin. Convicting us of sin. What else? Empowering us, Empowering us to live holy lives. Good. What else? Go back to Andrew's for just a second. What was it again, Andrew? Convicting us of sin. Convicting us of sin. There's a component that needs to be added to that. Regenerating us, but Bring us to repentance. bringing us to repentance—absolutely, not just convicting us, but bringing us actually to repentance. You see, guarantee is not just, "Hey, Charles, I'm the Holy Spirit. i just telling you." If I was inside you, I'd be scared, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, <you'd probably> <laughs> that's a little Charles, I just want to remind you, you are a child of well, That's that's awesome, isn't it? But what good is that if the Holy Spirit isn't doing what? Convicting sin. If the Holy Spirit isn't bringing you to repentance. If the Holy Spirit isn't regenerating. If the Holy Spirit isn't isn't causing us to become more and more like Christ. And all the rest of what you said. Reminding us of truth. He's not just... I mean, put it this way, if he has regenerated and is regenerating us, if he has brought us from death to life, Ephesians chapter 2, he's not just a speaker, is he? He's not just a microphone, is he? And a speaker that we can so get used to and tune out. No. That's not what he is. Yes, he's a speaker, but he's a life-giving speaker, isn't he? He reminds us of the truth, but he's life-giving. So that, and this is part of the guarantee, if he brought us into life from death, he's not brought us into life other than a new life. And this new life, it is in Christ, correct? So that when we, who are saved, for the first time when we get saved, recognize life flowing into these dead bones, Correct? Because we're grafted into the vine, it's only natural to what? Or let me change that. It's only supernatural to what? A lot more of that life flowing, isn't it? And that's all about spirit. That's all part of his guarantee. There's many other aspects to it as well, but that's part of his guarantee. He's guaranteeing what? Yes, that we'll be reminded that we're children of the king. But then he guarantees that we have an effect. And the effect will be dramatic. And we'll be transformed. And we'll be transforming for the glory of God. That's the idea. That's the guarantee. It's not just, hey, I want to remind you you're, you're saved. You kind know, of like what we do with 1 John 5. We take the verse way out of context and say, these things are written you, we know you have eternal life. Is that what the pastor says? Yes. But then we ignore everything else that 1 John says. As if somehow, because that verse exists, it's somehow, wow, I've got eternal life. But the point he's trying to make is, these signs, guarantees, seals, evidences, tokens, they show you that you're a child. They reveal it. They demonstrate it just like the covenant demonstrated with the with the bones. They demonstrate that you are a recipient of the covenant, that you're in the covenant, that you belong in the covenant, that that's where you are. That's where God has placed you. And that's what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Go over to uh, John, if you would. John chapter 10, verse 1. These passages should be should be familiar to you. We're still talking about the same theme <clears throat> Evidences, proofs, signs, tokens. Starting in verse one, truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief or and a robber. But he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all, all his own, he goes before them and sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they do not follow, <clears throat> but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. It, verse 6, by the way, I find very intriguing. He just said the sheep hear his voice and what does it say in verse 6 again? they didn't understand interesting isn't it why do they understand they're not, a sheep. they're not a sheep but more importantly in light of our discussion that they didn't understand because they didn't have the sign they didn't have the evidence they didn't have the token they didn't have the the proof of it all so to speak correct what does he say he doesn't say here in the passage listen people of Redeeming Grace Baptist Church, you need to listen to God. He doesn't say, people of Redeeming Grace Grace Baptist Church, you need to listen to the Scriptures. He doesn't say, you need to listen to Jesus. He doesn't say that there, does he? Does he even imply that? The answer is no. What does he say? My sheep hear my voice. And they follow me. When I go out of the, out of the sheepfold, they follow me out of the sheepfold. When the strangers come, and they do, they listen to them. And they run away to the shepherd. That's what they do. It's the proof of the covenant. It's the proof of the seal being placed upon you. Which means what Again. Ownership. You listen to your owner. That's the proof. It's the sign. I belong to the king. I'm in the family of God. I hear his voice. I follow him. Oh, and then going back to the past we looked at before. And when I sin and I do, what happens? Andrew, what happens? He convicts me of sin and? He brings me to repentance. And then from there, he does what, Tom? He tra- you said he transforms me into the image of Christ. You know what happens? That's what the Bible says. That's, that's the evidence. That's a sign. That's, the, that's, that's, that's what shows it and that's why i say all along why i've been saying all along this is not primarily your activity or mine we work because he works that's why we work because he's at work in us jump over to john 15 What's the sign? What's the proof? What's the evidence? Fruit bearing. Fruit bearing, isn't it? It's the evidence we're in the covenant. That's what it says here. If we went on in the passage, it says, verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers in the branch, the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. That's the alternative. But he says, and again, don't miss the point, he's not saying to the reader Jesus, is not, and to the hearer, Jesus is not saying, you better bear fruit, come on. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, get after it. He's saying, if, if he's the vine and you're the branches... And tying it into other passages, and you've been grafted into the vine. what happens? Fruit, will appear. fruit appears, doesn't it? And then it says, "Every branch in me that bears, does not bear fruit takes away, and it, but every branch that does bear fruit, he what, prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. But the branches that are in him ultimately are doing what? Bearing fruit. And of course, elsewhere it says he prunes, and what happens? Bear even more fruit, much fruit. You see, if we're not careful as Christians, as people who claim to be Christians, we will miss these crucially important verses. And we'll almost, I find almost, the idea in a lot of Christianity that it's, For example, it's possible to be a Christian and not bear fruit. Well, no, that's the sign. That you're in Christ. That's a crucial, absolute necessity of a sign that you're in Christ. That you what? Bear fruit. So... It's appropriate and necessary for us as believers, as supposed followers of Jesus, to look at our lives and to be on a hunt for the signs. Now, again, I'm not saying work harder. That's not what I'm saying. But the fruit appears, doesn't it? Peach trees bear fruit. Or they get pruned. (laughs) And what, I just pruned last year, I pruned my peach tree. What did I do with all the branches that didn't bear fruit? Got rid of them. And this year I had a lot of fruit. It's a way of things. Boy, that's encouraging, isn't it, when we see the evidence of the Spirit at work in our lives? It's not just exciting because I did something. In fact, that's not exciting at all. That's legalism. It's exciting because the Spirit is doing something, isn't it? Isn't that exciting? It better be if we're in the vine. Jump over to Galatians. Continuing this thought, Galatians chapter 5. starting in verse 22. In case you're wondering, but what fruit should I be looking for? That's a good question. What, should, what fruit should I be looking for? And I would argue this is not an all-encompassing description, but it, it's a, probably more of a starting point that needs to be skinned out in a lot of different ways. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things against such things, there is no law, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and the desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another. I want you to notice <clears throat> We really have this whole we work because he works theme going on here again because verses 22 through 24, 22 and 23, I'm sorry, 22 and 23, there is not a command there. It's just a declaration. The fruit of what? Spirit. The Spirit. Notice it's not the fruit of the believer, is it? That is, it's not the fruit caused by believers, it's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit belonging to the Spirit is this. In other words, this is what the Spirit does to those who are truly in the vine. This is what he accomplishes in those who are in the vine. Now I know we have sinful hearts, right? At least I know I do. We have sinful hearts, right? Right? Could I just submit something to you? If God is big enough to wipe out the entire world other than Noah's family and the few animals are on the ark, if God is powerful enough to, to speak all that exists into existence, if God is powerful enough to raise the dead, if God is powerful enough to open the Red Sea and the Jordan, if God is powerful enough to cause the sun to stand still, if God is powerful enough to rain down hailstorms, hailstones and wipe out the enemy, if God is powerful enough to conquer sin and Satan and death. And we can go on on that discussion. I think he's more powerful than my sinful heart, isn't he? Isn't he? Got a couple people responding to that. I think he's absolutely more powerful. If he's more powerful than all that, he's more powerful than our sinful hearts. What do I mean by that? I know we have sinful hearts, but do you know something? What does the scripture say here? The fruit of the spirit is, and it gives this list. And the spirit is our guarantee, isn't he? The spirits are guaranteed to, to what? To, call, to, to fulfill all that that seal intends to say that we saw in the very first verse. Which means what? Those who are actually recipients of the covenant will have in growing ways in their life what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, long-suffering, and all the rest of that list. I know I messed up the list somewhere. That's okay. You get the idea. Those who are in the covenant, and in Christ, who have the Spirit as a guarantee, this is what the Spirit does. Frankly, if He's not not powerful enough to cause these things to happen in our life, He's not powerful enough to get us to heaven. He just isn't. Now certainly in 23 to the end of the chapter, you see there's activity going on there by humans, right? 24 and following, I mean, he says what? And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, past tense, with ongoing ramifications, with its passions and desires. Clearly, those who are recipients of the covenant and have the Spirit are doing what? Crucifying the flesh, right? You see that, correct? They have and continue to. But why? Because the Holy Spirit is in us. Doing what? Transforming us. Going back to what you said, Tom, and producing what? Fruit. And so we join in with the one who has redeemed us. Correct? And the Spirit at work, God, the Spirit at work in us. I have a question. Yeah. My Bible says, have crucified, which is the present perfect, which means it's something the present is, an accomplishment is done. Yes. Well, it, it is. It, what I say is ongoing effect. It has an ongoing effect. Yeah, Does that makes sense. Yes. Yes, and, has ongoing yes. and it, the effect continues. It's not just a one-time thing. It has a continuing effect. No, no. Have crucified. It just has its ongoing. The effect it had, it continues. It remains. It'd be kind of like me saying. I I married my wife in the same term, and yet the, the marriage continues. It's not like I'm going through a new wedding every day. Yeah. Does that help? Okay. And then he goes on in verse 25. Good question, though. Goes on in verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. It sounds like we're active, doesn't it? It absolutely sounds like we're active. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And then verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. So again, we're active, but we're active because he's active. He's the one producing the fruit, and we are doing what? For all intents and purposes, we are walking in step with him. The call is to walk in step with your Spirit, with this Holy Spirit that you've been given. Let's go to one more passage, Hebrews chapter 12. There's many other passages we could go to, but this is as far as we're going to go. Passage we all know because we've all been through it recently. Verse 5 and following. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons besides this we have earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them shall we not much more be subject to the father's spirits and live for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but, it, but later, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me start at the very last verse that I just read. Who is trained by it? Those who are in Christ, who are recipients of the covenant. How do I, how, why can I say that? Well, because the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. Correct? That means he's at work doing what? Again, we just saw in the previous verse, he's at work producing fruit in our lives. And here he says, the peaceable blank of righteousness. Peaceable what? Fruit of righteousness. So it's painful at the moment, but later on it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. God's discipline, who is, and discipline is something that's brought upon us for our good, and it is what? It is the proof. It is a sign. It is the guarantee. It is the it is a token. It is the, it is the um, evidence that we're what? That we're in the covenant. It's the evidence we're children of God. It's the evidence that we've been redeemed. God is disciplining me, but it's not just discipline. He's disciplining me, and the result is the Spirit is producing what? Fruit of righteousness, which probably encompasses Galatians 5, 22 and 23. These are signs. These are places that we ought to reside and remind ourselves of as we examine ourselves. That's what Paul's talking about. He says, examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. He's saying, in effect, is there a rainbow in the sky? That's what he's saying. Not literally, but it's the idea. You're not going to be destroyed. See the rainbow? <coughs> examine yourself to see if you're of the faith. How do I do it? What do I, what do I examine? Do I examine how well I'm doing? Well, the Pharisees were doing that. Weren't they? And Paul said, what about his Pharisaical the life? It was all done. It was all worthless. It was all garbage. It was all refuse. It's all was. But he tells us to examine ourselves. Second Corinthians. To see if we're the faith. We saw it through Hebrews, didn't we? To examine ourselves. But examine ourselves how? Not how well I'm doing. That, that, that's foolishness. Absolute foolishness. Is the spirit at work? Are the signs there? Are the tokens there? Are the evidences there? Are the, the, the uh, seal, is the seal there? If it's there... Praise the Lord, right? It doesn't matter how I feel. For example, if I wake up one day shortly after Noah's floods over and I wake up because it's raining and I'm terrified, it doesn't matter how I feel, right? There's a rainbow in the sky. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter how I emote. It matters if there's a rainbow in the sky. It doesn't matter how I feel, ultimately, how I emote with regard to Christ. It matters if there is a metaphorical rainbow in the sky, so to speak. You get my point. Now, that's why I said in the very beginning, this should be something that really encourages us as we do what? As we do what? Examine ourselves to see if we're in faith. Absolutely. I find, if I find, once I come, I find too often I'm dealing with people who struggle with their salvation. What they're struggling with, ultimately, most times, is how they feel or how they think about something. More so than what has God declared in the scriptures. Now, frankly, sometimes looking at these things that you looked at is more painful, isn't it? That's what the Spirit uses in our lives to do what? It truly really is. Call us to repentance. repentance. So he does. Doesn't he? That's exactly what he does. Now afterwards, I may not feel <laughs> any better, right? I may not feel any better. In fact, I'll probably feel worse. If I slug my wife in the head and I repent, am I going to feel better afterwards or worse? worse. I'm going to feel worse. Aren't I? And when she forgives me, I'm really going to feel worse. Aren't I? But if I slow down and think about it, she forgave me. Why? Because she loves me. That's stunning, isn't it? Isn't it? That's absolutely stunning. Stunning. So how I feel about it is not the issue. The issue is what has God declared? What are the signs? That's where mm-hmm. our focus needs to be. We may still feel crazy, but what's the truth? You were going to say something, Tom? No, I was going to say, I was trying to discriminate between signs and evidences. Those are seem valuable, like the same valuable of what evidence is yep. to When I think of signs, I'm thinking of like the Holy Spirit. are yep. saying the seal, but also baptism and the communion. Yep. Baptists, we see those as symbols or signs. Signifying the reality. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess. So. Yeah. So there, it seems like to me there's a discrimination will look for the two, but they're both important. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, no question about it. Yep. Anybody else? Any thoughts? I want to open up. I know we're running running a little late, but I want to open up any other ideas or signs, proofs, evidences, seals, anything like that you want to throw out on the table? I'm just thinking it's really, in our climate that we live in, it's very dangerous. To Speaking in tongues, et cetera, et cetera yeah. I think it really gets, gets, I think yeah. a lot of people are skeptical. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Tom. I don't know if you heard what Tom said, this, this whole, you know, signs and wonders movement and speaking in tongues and all the rest, that becomes really skeptical. That's where we need to go back to the scriptures and say, we need to ask ourselves, is that actually a sign described in the scriptures that that's proof? And the answer is no that that should be something we should look to as evidence sign. You no, know, these passions we're looking at today are the ones that tell us, right? They say, these are the absolutes, not that. Whether, and I don't believe it's a today, but even if they were, that's, you can't look to that as evidence and proof. No question about that. Good, anybody else? Thoughts? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I, th- I My thoughts jump to, to Romans 8. Since those who for do we predestined to be conformed to the image of his sons, so and he be firstborn, women and brothers. Those who predestined, he, predestine, he called. Those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Yep. For if you've been called, it proves you were foreknown and predestined, mm-hmm. and you will be justified and glorified. Yeah, and what's called. interesting is right in the middle of that it says what? Conform to his image, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is, again, that if if all this is true, then what's gonna happen? We will be conformed to his image, and that's not the glory. And that, not. and that breaks him off into a that section of praise, which ends yeah. which of course ends with for I'm persuaded be it death or life or angels or rulers or these things for things to come, or powers or language, yep. or any other great thing. Yep. But the power to separate us from the love of good. God is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Absolutely. Good. Jim, you wanna say something real quick? Oh. Yep. Thank you, much. Yeah, absolutely. Good. Good. Anybody else? It does say in verse 12, Colossians, you've been buried with him in baptism. Yes. In which you were raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. Yeah. Not that we put faith in baptism, but it is symbolic of if we really have faith, it yeah. reminds us of it. Good. Good. Well, we need to close in prayer. I hope you're both encouraged and exhorted. Yes, real quick. Just one thought, real quick. I was trying to find the verse I wanted to pick, but I was looking at Romans 4, um, verses 23 through 25, where it talks about why the word was written. Okay. For the the words of Abraham, even though that was before the Mosaic promise, but that was written for those in that promise. Yep. Good. Excellent. Let's close in prayer, and uh, let's go from here after we worship God in song, rejoicing. And at the same time, examining, correct? Considering what God has to say about our lives and, and looking at ourselves in light of these type of truths. Are we, are we in the kingdom? Are we sons of, of the king? Have we received the seal? Do we have the spirit? Is he at work? Let's pray. Lord, help us. I pray that you will help us open our eyes to see. <clears throat> Help us not to be confused by things that are not signs. But help us to see, by your Spirit, the truth that you've revealed in these verses today. You do not believe in the You give us what we need. And so, Lord, we rejoice that you are a Lord that you are, your work in us is not intricate, but it is ultimately because you are all powerful. you.